You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go. Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Well, it's not just about a nice little old lady who has just died. It's about power. It's not about pomp and ceremony. It's not about a visual spectacle. It's not about the best English pantomime since the Mikado. Mikado, I should say. No, it's about power. It's about structural inequalities. It's about turning history on its head. That's what it's about. And this is the dilemma that most people are facing today, that with an avalanche, a media avalanche, led by the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation, people somehow think that they have doubts about the ruling classes, is somehow un-Australian. As I keep saying, we are not subjects. You may think you're a subject of the sovereign who has the divine right to rule, but we are not subjects. A lot of people say, let it go, Joe, let it go. It's just about a nice little old lady. It's not. It is not. It is about structural inequality. It's about institutional criminality. It's about institutional theft, murder, dispossession. That's what it's about. Fine. Maybe the head of that particular institution was a nice little old lady and a nice human being. But that is not the issue. The issue is, are we subjects to a sovereign or are we independent human beings? I mean, it was extraordinary to see the who's who of the world congregate in London. And what I found fascinating is that like nuclear bombs, you know about nuclear bombs, we've got good nuclear bombs, the ones that you 
you know, you explode on Nagasaki and Hiroshima and keep in your backyard. You know, if you're in the West, then you've got bad nuclear bombs, the ones that are held by the Chinese and the North Koreans and the Russians. Now, it's the same with dictators. Now, I understand, not that I'm an expert in this area, that the rulers of uh, Syria and Myanmar and Nicaragua, I can't believe that, Venezuela and a few other places weren't invited to the funeral of the, little, the nice little old lady because they were dictators. They weren't nice people. But, but I did notice a number of dictators rubbing shoulders of what's left of the Western so-called monarchies at the funeral. Not that I watched it. Things, people like the dictator who ruled Sudan. People from the Arab Emirates. Just extraordinary situation. So there are good dictators and bad dictators. Good nuclear bombs and bad nuclear bombs. But again, it's not about a pantomime. It's about power. It's about structural inequalities. We are still got the Royal Australian Air Force. We still have the Prime Minister turning up. We still have a significant number of people in this country who somehow think they are subjects of a sovereign. We still have people in this country who don't understand that the dispossession of this country's First Nations people were done in the name of the sovereign, of the same ruling classes, which have been a constant feature of life in this country. So it's not about pomp. It's not about ceremony. It's not about people, you know, looking at nice pictures of soldiers marching around it's not about wealth. Well, it is about wealth, obviously, but it's not about the ostentatious display of wealth. It's about telling you you are a subject. That's right, a subject of a sovereign, irrespective of whether you think you live in a parliamentary democracy or not. And just give a few facts and figures because I think it's important that people understand this. Now you may have been inundated on the royal from the Royal ABC, the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and the corporate-owned media in this country about all those people filing past the coffin, and they counted all of them. This is a propaganda exercise. Two hundred quarter of a million. 250,000. Now, there's 10 million people in London, and I'm sure some people flew in from somewhere else, but let's say, just say the people of London were there. 10 million people. So a quarter of a million out of 10 million, you work out the maths. I think it's one in 25 turned up. Okay? Fair enough. Three MCG crowds on a, on a big game here in, uh, in Australia. Not a huge number when you think about it, but if you put them in little files, it's thing. Then the number of people who watched the funeral in Great Britain. 
Yes, the figures have come out from the Royal British Broadcasting Corporation. I don't blame them. It was about one in three people in Great Britain watched the funeral live. So obviously there are elements in Great Britain itself which are a little bit concerned about the staged, managed pantomime which is designed to ensure that we have a new sovereign or they have a new sovereign and the rest of the British Commonwealth that hasn't uh, broken away continues to have a new sovereign. And if you think it's over, it's not. Because the next thing we'll have is the coronation. You like that? The coronation. Hmm, isn't it? So remember, can we separate the individual from the institution? Can we ignore the excesses of British imperialism which was based on the concept of the sovereign can we ignore that? Can we ignore the tens of millions of people around the planet who have directly or indirectly died as a result of the activities of the British imperial family? Can we ignore this? If we have a nice pantomime, a lot of colour and action. And then, and then the other question is, did you know that the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation, that's right, that's their new nickname. I used to call them the Government Guild at ABC. I don't think the government's guild them, but they've been duchessed by this propaganda exercise. It's just a propaganda exercise. The Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation sent on heaps of people to London to cover the funeral of the nice little old lady and now to cover the coronation of her offspring. And who pays for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation? I do. You do. We pay for that excess. It's extraordinary. Now, look, I don't care what the British people want to do regarding their so-called monarch. But I do care about the fact that we're supposed to be an independent country and we're not willing to actually acknowledge how this country was formed, what was the cost for this country's First Nations people? What was the cost for the convicts who were sent here and their descendants, many of whom were sent here for minor property theft because of the overwhelming poverty in England and Great Britain as a result of the domination of the English people by their so-called monarch. 
and institutionalised structures which were created to create those divisions and ensure those divisions continue for eternity. So think about it. It's not just about a nice the funeral for a nice little old lady. It's about a propaganda exercise to prop up an institution which has been responsible for some of the most horrific events on the planet over the last five centuries. Now, as you know, we normally have, and we will continue to have, public housing, everybody's business uh, vigils on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from midday to 1pm every Thursday. Well, we will be conducting that vigil this Thursday. That's the 22nd irrespective of whether it's been set aside as a day of national mourning for the nice little old lady who was uh, finally buried after being, you know, paraded in public for days. So we will continue that. But at the same time, I'll be mourning. And I won't be mourning for the Windsors and their offspring, the little old lady, Elizabeth Elizabeth Windsor. But I will be mourning publicly from midday to 1pm. This is just a personal thing that I think, you know, I feel I need to do. I'll be flying the Eureka flag on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House between midday and 1pm on Thursday, the 22nd. And I'll be mourning. I'll be mourning the Eureka rebels who were killed on the 3rd of December 1854. I'll be mourning the fate of First Nations people on the Australian continent and around the world as a result of British imperialism. And most importantly of all, I'll be mourning the continuing legacy of a colonisation process which has not ended. And that's the key. That colonisation process continues to hold us back as a people in terms of coming to some type of arrangements with this country's First Nations people. And until we continue to have a monarchy, in inverted commas, we will continue to suffer the issues regarding colonisation. Now, we're not, just, we're not just the only people. If you look at the fate of Pakistan, and India, and most of the Car- and sections of the Caribbean, and African countries, which were and some Asian countries, which are under the domination of the British imperial forces, we can see that continuing continuing colonial legacy in the lives that people lead. So, it's not about a little old lady. It's not about 
an English pantomime which has, you know, outstripped the Mikado. It's not about somebody going to have a inherit the crown. It's about institutional structures which were responsible for so much damage and continue to have such a negative impact on so many people around the globe, including people in this country. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, what you do on Thursday is your business. Some people will be protesting. Some people will be crying. Some people will be glued to their television sets, you know, or social media. Some people will be making spectacular, brilliant speeches about the sovereign and the sovereign's, you know, descendants, and the list goes on and on. But I personally will be mourning. As I said, I'll be on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. I'll be flying a Eureka flag. I'll be there from 12 till 1 on Thursday the 22nd. It's, I will be mourning all those who have been not only disadvantaged but exploited on behalf of the British royal, in inverted commas, family. Let's move on. Now, if there's one thing you can learn regarding the blanket coverage regarding the death of a nice little old lady is the fact that not all nice little old ladies are treated equally in this society. Now, I'm disgusted. I'm not disgusted by the monarchy or the British government because, obviously, they want to ensure that institutions which have lasted for hundreds of years, which has been responsible for exploitation of hundreds of millions of people, will continue to function. I'm not disgusted by that. I expect that. So if you expect something, you're not disgusted. But I am, I am disgusted and totally disgusted how much time, effort, energy and money has been used to sh- shine a spotlight and what to me is a minuscule event on the world stage. And I'm totally disgusted by the Australian media. Now, I'd expect this type of behaviour from the corporate media because they're there to make a buck and if they think they can show, you know, wear black and do lovely things about a nice little old lady and it means they get more advertising revenue, they'll do it. So that's, that's their function. That's their function. They're there to make a buck. And you can, if you can make a buck by promoting football or a funeral of a nice little old lady, fair enough. That's what they're there for. That's what, you know, the corporate-owned media is all about. But when you get the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation throwing everything everything but the kitchen sink at the coverage of the death of a nice little old lady in England, 
and the on and the funeral, you begin to wonder where this country's priorities lie. Now I'm going to go through a litany litany of issues which are raised constantly on the anarchist world this week, which never, 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 never seem to be seriously addressed by this country's media. They're happy to throw the kitchen sink at the funeral of a nice little old lady, but they're not willing to give the same coverage, put the same pressure on governments regarding childhood poverty in this country. Now, we are told constantly that this is one of the richest countries on the planet. 25 million people living on a continent. I'm sure you're sick of me talking about it. One million children living in poverty. Private charities raising money to send kids to public schools in this country. The breakdown of family units to such a degree that we have one of the highest rates of incarceration, inverted commas, of children institutions because of family breakdowns. We have constant reports about the failure of the system to deal with the situation. But we never get the same coverage regarding the fate of a million Australian children by the Australian media. Whether it's the corporate whether it's the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation or the uh, commercial saturated corporate owned media, it's all about things which are peripheral. And why is it about things which are peripheral? Because in order to address the childhood poverty, you need much, you need major structural reform, and you need the population of this country to understand the extent of the problem. Now you've got major saturation coverage regarding the funeral of a nice little old lady in the UK, but when it comes to the disastrous situation affecting people in this country because of the privatisation mania which has swept Australia and most of the world, when you look at the disasters caused by the privatisation of aged care, the privatisation of child early childhood development and care, the privatisation of essential infrastructure, you begin to understand how important the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC is to ensuring that these issues continue to never be resolved. To never be resolved. And that's the problem. 
Now, I don't expect much from the corporate-owned media. As I said before, they're there to make a buck. But I do expect a lot more from the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. So why aren't they able to achieve these issues? Very simply, because successive governments, especially reactionary governments and conservative governments, have done everything they can to geld the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And they've done that by stacking the boards with people who want to see the privatisation of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, by putting workers in the ABC on short-term contracts to ensure that if they make too many noises about too many things that their short-term contract won't be renewed and we see this over and over again by having editorial teams who decide what is and what isn't news and obviously the death of a little old lady, a nice little old lady in the UK, is news but a million children living in poverty the disgraceful situation in the aged care sector, the disaster you know, caused by privatisation in many aspects of this country, whether it's the banks, the airports, the planes, and the list goes on and on. Essential services, electricity, you name it. No concerted effort or campaign. And then we get the mining sector. Let's look at the mining sector. Very profitable. How does it work? Well, theoretically, the things under the ground belong to the Crown. That's right. You may have freehold title on your property, but anything under a foot belongs to the Crown. And if there's any minerals there, so what does the government do? It gives them away to the private sector to develop, to enrich themselves at the expense of the Australian people. Just extraordinary. It's just it's reached an extraordinary stage where although we're the second or possibly the first biggest gas exporter on the planet, there's not enough gas on the eastern seaboard and they say we need to get more fracking done to find more gas because we sold it all off at a bargain basement price to the rest of the world. Just extraordinary. Just extraordinary. So if you want to be disgusted, be disgusted with the institutional structures and a media whose primary job is to ensure that these institutional structures, which create structural inequality in the land of so-called milk and honey, um... That's the issue. It's not about colour and action, English pantomimes, little old ladies dying, little old ladies dying. I'm sure a few little old ladies have died while I'm speaking on the phone. Now, I'm sure all those little old ladies that have died in Australia in the last 48 hours would have made a wonderful monarch if they had all the support that the... You know that old Elizabeth Windsor had. I'm sure they would. I'm sure you could be a good queen or a good king if you had a few thousand people supporting you. 
I mean, it'd be easy. Easy. I mean, the great thing about being a monarch, you can't even shake their hands or touch them. So you, don't, you won't even get RSI from shaking too many hands. It's all about waving, but there are ways of waving. All right, let's move on. So that's that's the issue, isn't it? That is the issue. We have structural inequalities, which are compounded by a political system, which allows these structural inequalities to occur. We have a media, and I know people tell me legacy media is irrelevant. That is crap. The legacy media sets the agenda for the day. That's why Rupert Murdoch continues to bankroll the Australian, the only national newspaper in this country, although it has never made a profit in its life because it is able to twist and turn the agenda to suit the interests of the Murdochs of the world and their hanger honours. All right, let's move on to something a little bit more positive. Now, since 20, in 2020 and 2021, uh, we didn't celebrate Peter Norman Day. Now, Peter Norman Day will be on the 9th of October, which is a Sunday, just around the corner a few weeks away. Now, who was Peter Norman? Well, he was a minuscule athlete, although his record for the 200 metres still stands. I mean, there are many athletes in, in Australia who've, you know, done wonderful things. Now, Peter Norman was at the Mexico Olympics in 1968. Nobody expected him to do anything. But against all expectations, he won the silver medal in the 200 metres at the Mexico Olympics in the, in, in the record time for him of 20.06 seconds. Now, there are two other people who won medals in that race. There was a bloke called Tommy Smith and there was a bloke called John Carlos. They were both Afro-Americans. And if you remember 68 in the US of A, it was a hot summer. Bobby Kennedy had been assassinated. Martin Luther King had been assassinated. And many of the cities around the states were burning because of racial divisions and riots. Now, Afro-American athletes who formed the bulk of the athletic contingent to the 1968 USA, 1968 Mexico Olympics from the USA had been toying with the idea of boycotting the Olympics. But they decided instead to attend but formed an organisation for Olympians called the Project for Human Rights. The Olympic Project for Human Rights. Now, when Tommy Smith and John Carlos were split by Peter Norman, an Australian, born in Melbourne, Coburg, Melbourne to be exact, from Coburg, Melbourne, they asked him two questions. 
Do you believe in human rights? Do you believe in God? Now Peter Norman answered yes to both questions and then they explained to him what they intended to do on the dais during the medal presentation. They explained to him what they were going to do. And that image was flashed across the globe. We saw Tommy Smith raise his right fist in a glove and John Carlos rise he raise his left fist in a boxing glove on the dice during the medical presentation. And Peter Norman looked straight ahead, wearing a badge of the Olympic Olympic Human Rights. Olympic Olympians for Human Rights. And he has said to them, I will stand with you. I will be part of that protest for human rights. When Tommy Smith wrote his autobiography about a decade ago, it could have been a bit earlier, he made it quite clear that the salute they gave was not a black power salute, it was a human rights salute for the oppressed of the world. And they stood on that dais without any shoes to highlight the poverty and inequality, not just the United States, but around the world. For those fleeting seconds, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were stripped of their medals and ostracised. I mean, Johnny Smith, I think Tommy Smith was working as a... Couldn't get a job, was washing cars at one stage. When Peter Norman came back to Australia, and this is 1968, remember 1968? Wonderful, wonderful year. The year before, Australians had voted in a referendum to give the Commonwealth powers to legislate on behalf of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. In 1968, we still had the white Australian policy in force. A 68-year policy which had attempted to create a replica of the British Empire on the Australian continent, irrespective of the damage done to this country's First Nations people. So when Peter Norman died, a broken man, in 2006, on the 3rd of October. His funeral was held in Coburg, and Tommy Smith and John Carlos flew across from the States, gave eulogies at his funeral, and acted as pallbearers for his coffin, because they felt so strongly about the support that this man had given them. And the indignities he suffered as a result of supporting the Olympic Project for Human Rights. The fact that he wandered from job to job, the fact that he was ostracised, not just by the Olympic community, but by most Australians 
who found it obnoxious that he could stand on that dais and support the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And so the American, that's right, the American Athletics Association declared the 9th of October as Peter Norman Day, a day to highlight that the way forward for people who are oppressed, people of colour, people who are oppressed for a variety of reasons, can only move forward with the support of people like Peter Norman, you and me. I will stand with you. I will stand with you, irrespective of the consequences. Now, Peter Norman was not selected to go to the ninety, sorry, the seventy-four Munich Olympics, although he had bettered the qualifying time, the two hundred meters, by thirteen times. And strangely, he was not invited to the Sydney Olympics, although he was involved in some events in Melbourne to highlight the Sydney Olympics, but he actually wasn't invited. And when the uh, American Athletics Association heard of this indignity, they invited him into the USA camp as their personal guest because they felt so strongly about Peter Norman's actions, and that was his actions 32 years before the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Now, his old coach, Neville Stilto, after putting pressure on the Athletics Association, the Australian Athletics Association and the Olympic Committee, has, had been a, was able to ensure that a statue was erected to Peter Norman outside the entrance of Lakeside Oval. I mean, we had been involved, the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee had been involved in activities to divide the athletic achievement of his 2000, his 1968 race, and he still holds the Olympic record in Oceania from 1968, which is what, 54 years later, for the 200 metres of 20.06 seconds, from the more important example that his that his example, more important example on the day in 68. So we still think there should be a major monument somewhere in the Melbourne CBD to the ideas, the concepts that Peter Norman highlighted in 1968. I will stand with you. So once again, we'll be conducting a small ceremony, which which you are all invited to, in 2022, on Sunday the 9th of October at 2pm, at the entrance to Lakeside Oval, where the Peter Norman statue is. You'll hear more about that uh, the next, uh, next week. But if you are in Melbourne on the day, 2pm, 
Sunday, the 9th of October. Please join us for the uh, Peter Norman commemoration, not just a commemoration regarding his athletic prowess, but a commemoration on the more important issue of human rights and the fact that if you want human rights, universal human rights, to be part and parcel of everyday existence, it's up to us. It's not just up to those that are oppressed to stand up directly and face the carnage and the machine for standing up. But it's up to us to stand with them to ensure that their struggle becomes a universal struggle. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I was very interested to hear the Treasurer talk about how do we fund what we value. Good question, I said, Mr Treasurer. I said, it's a matter of political will. Now, on this program over the years, we've given you a few examples, but I'm sure you'll maybe not interested, but I'll just highlight them again. You want to fund what we value, universal childcare, a health system that is available to everybody, a pharmaceutical system which helps everybody, you know, a childcare system, a universal basic income, all those things which make life worthwhile for everybody. Very simple. I'll give you a few examples, Mr Treasurer. If you've got the guts, maybe you'll look at them. A 1% stock market turnover tax. We could raise anywhere between 30 to $60 billion a year. One cent in every dollar for every stock and share which is sold or bought on the Australian Stock Exchange. It's 40 to $60 billion every year. A 1% financial transaction tax and all transactions say over $5,000. You could raise at least a hundred to one hundred and twenty billion dollars every year. A sixty percent tax on all mining profits by any corporation or business in the mining sector with over five million dollar turnover per year. We could raise hundreds of billions of dollars. While other countries have been smart enough to put money away in future funds from their mining sector, like the people of Norway have got trillions of dollars for a population of less than five million, we have allowed those profits to disappear, dissipate around the world. So there are very simple things that can be done, but it's a matter of political will and a matter of political courage. But I understand the government's hesitancy. Because when you've got a corporate-dominated media and when you've got a gelded Australian Broadcasting Corporation, any move towards ensuring that wealth is distributed across the nation is resisted. And we see this, we see this on a daily basis. And we're told, oh, we can't have public-owned assets anymore. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. And obviously we can do what we like if we have the political will to do it. But we don't seem to have the political will. And while 
the corporate-owned media and the Royal Australian Broadcasting Corporation continues to dominate debate in every sphere of existence and pick and choose what is important and what isn't important to us as a people, we will continue to face the same issues. So, Mr Treasurer, break through. Bit of courage. You may find you'll get the respect you deserve. Oh, you would like. I won't say deserve. All right, let's move on. West Australia. Wonderful place, isn't it? Labor government. Huge majority. There's only two opposition members in the lower house. One Liberal. One National Party. That's two. Extraordinary, isn't it? Everybody was happy with the coronavirus, you know, policies that they pursued. Well, good luck to them. Well, they've just passed an interesting act which has been upheld by the High Court of Australia. The High Risk Serious Offenders Act. Sounds good, doesn't it? It means that if you, you know, you've been sentenced for something in prison and you're deemed to be of high risk when you're released, they continue to keep you in prison, okay? So it's not a matter of doing the crime, doing the time. It's a matter of doing the crime, spend the rest of eternity in jail because somebody thinks that you may re-offend. Now, obviously, there's a lot of support for this type of legislation publicly. It's good for votes. And obviously, when people talk about terrorism and murder and rapists, and if they think that people are you know, a high risk of re-offending, I can understand But the beauty about the West Australian Act, the High Risk Serious Offenders Act, which the High Court of Australia has found to be totally constitutional, just like they found that you can indefinitely detain people if they're asylum seekers or refugees, constitutionally acceptable. The thing is that serious, the the key word is, what is a serious offence? Robbery. That's right. Robbery is now considered to be a serious offence. And we've seen a number of people in the, uh, in the West Australia recently being denied freedom once they've completed their sentence because they may, they may re-offend as far as robbery is concerned. And we're not talking about violent robbery. We're talking about Theft. And who do you think are the main beneficiaries of the High Risk Serious Offenders Act in the state of West Australia? You guessed it. West Australia's Aboriginal population. Now, I'm going to tell you a few figures. If you don't believe me, check them out. Aboriginal people make up about 3 at the maximum 4% of the West Australian population. That's minuscule. That's minuscule. They make up 80% of children who are incarcerated in West Australia. So 80% of children who are incarcerated in West Australia, Aboriginal 
60% of female prisoners in West Australia are Aboriginal. 50% of male prisoners in West Australia are Aboriginal. And you'll find this pretty mind-blowing. I mean, we like to you know, compare ourselves to the United States of America, but uh, they're amateurs compared to us, as far as West Australia is concerned. One in 12 adult male, Aboriginal males is in a West Australian prison. Why? Well, obviously, there's a ongoing consequences of colonisation. Most of the people in, Aboriginal people in prison in West Australia are there for property crimes, minor crimes, drug-related crimes. And the beauty is, and this is what I love, the beauty is that in West Australia that if you are jailed indefinitely because you're considered to be a high-risk, serious offender, you're left in the prison population. You're not rehoused in a different situation. And the fact is that in West Australia, as in most Australian states, we've tried to do it on the cheap. Not enough rehabilitation beds, not enough alcohol detoxification centres, not enough drug detoxification, not enough support for people who are suffering from intergenerational, institutional racism. Terrible word, isn't it, when we like to use it? So think about it. And you wonder why things never change in Australia. You wonder why things never change. Some things change. We move on. But a lot of things never change. And they'll never change while there are no resources to be used to try to change the issue. You know, the war on drugs, the most spectacularly unsuccessful war in the history of humanity, almost as spectacularly unsuccessful as the Iraqi war, the Afghanistan war, you know. Think about it, the Vietnam War, highly, highly unsuccessful. The war on drugs, the worldwide war on drugs. Drug addiction is a social and health problem. If you don't devote social and health initiatives to tackle that problem, you just magnify it. And if you look at prison and prison populations across the country, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, you will find that you could empty the prisons tomorrow. Empty them. Tomorrow, if we decriminalised many drug offences at the lower level, you know, decriminalise it. It's a health issue. It's a social issue. Let's put resources into it. But no, no, it's a criminal issue, isn't it? It's good for business, isn't it? All right, let's move on. Now, I know some of you living in Victoria have shown some interest in my little proposal, and again, it's a little proposal, and that's all it is at this stage, to conduct a little campaign in Dan Andrews' electorate. 
Mulgrave. He's the Premier of Victoria, just in case you don't know who the person is, the gentleman is. And I'm interested in positive human-focused reforms. I'm sick and tired, sick and tired of the construction blitz occurring in in the state of Victoria. I'm sure it's around the place. Now, I'll give you an example of how ridiculous things are. Now, the government wants to... St- it's, it's nearly election time, so you've got to throw out some goodies. So the government wants to stimulate the, you know, the um, food industry. So it's going to give people vouchers, 25% discount, you know, if they go to a restaurant, right? But they've got to spend 40 bucks. So a bit of middle-class welfare, they think they'll get some middle-class votes. How about food security? How about vouchers regarding food security for people who are finding issues getting enough healthy food every day? How about energy security? How about public housing? How about public health, public education, recreation? The list goes on and on. So if you are interested in this campaign, as I said, there's no point conducting a campaign like this without local support. If you live in the electorate of Mulgrave, which includes Mulgrave, the suburbs of Mulgrave and Springvale in Victoria, the Premier's seat, which is held for over 20 years, and you want to see some positive human-focused reforms discussion during the election, look, I'm happy to stand, but I'm not happy to stand without people in the electorate willing to nominate me. There is no point conducting a campaign like this without local support. So if you know somebody living in those in those areas, Mulgrave or Springvale, who may be interested in a positive human-focused reforms campaign, give us a ring. 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming, has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. YouTube channel, Public Interests Before Corporate Interests. Webpage, anarchismedia.org. Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Twitter, Twitter, yes, we've got a Twitter thing, have we? What's our Twitter handle? Who knows? Anarchist Media Institute, try that, or Anarchist World this week. Anarchist 3CR, Radical Australia, you name it, we're everywhere on the net, not that it does any good. I know everybody thinks it's a wonderful thing, but there are billions of things. All right, thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week. Listen in next week. If you're in Melbourne town, join me at midday tomorrow. Under the Eureka flag, let's mourn for the real victims of British imperialism, not the perpetrators. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Ten AM every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national, and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger!
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.